0: welcome in to the bsn nuggets podcast presented by in we go
2: joined by a special guest mason Plummer. i thought he was gonna knock that ref out in la <laughs> coaches will get testy with officials but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off yeah. i've never seen that before
1: you should have taken a charge on him <laughs>
2: Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We're presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of The Green Solution's 17 Colorado locations. Yes, there's 17 of them. You can browse their entire inventory online as well at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout where you'll be in and out in minutes. Use promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark back to break down game two. It did not go in the Nuggets' favor. Denver falls last night at Pepsi Center 97-90. to 90. We've got a series. It's tied up at one. I thought this series was probably going seven at the beginning of it prior to game one. It seems like that's the direction it's surely heading Last night was a tough one for Denver. They could not hit it all from the field. They could not hit from three. They missed a ton of free throws. They turned the ball over nine times. They did out-rebound Portland, but Portland got a, I don't want to say convincing one because Denver missed a lot of easy ones in this game, and even with how poorly they played, they were really right there for most of this
3: one. What are you going to remember from this game? probably that it was semi-miraculous that this game was even competitive You know, late into the fourth quarter. Denver got it down to as few as five with about 35 seconds to go. And this probably should have been a blowout with how poorly Denver shot the ball. I mean, to go six of 29 from three, there are four of 18 on wide open threes. There are two of 10 on open threes. I mean, you just shouldn't be even in a playoff game when you're that cold, I think. This seemed like game one of the Spurs series, didn't it? Oh yeah. A lot of parallels. A lot of parallels.
2: Let's start there. The Blazers doubled Jokic this game way harder than they did in game one, I thought. Really in a similar fashion to how the Spurs came out and doubled Nikola Jokic in game one of that series. Forced the ball out of his hands the second he put it on the floor. Jokic looked like he was waiting for the double to come every time he got it as well. Denver got a lot of open threes in this one. Most of them coming off of Jokic kickouts, but they didn't drop. And Denver shot six of twenty-nine from three in this game, similar to what they shot in Game One of the Spurs. Is that what you saw happen? Because it, it seemed like Denver generated open looks all night long.
3: Yeah, they, they got fantastic looks. I mean, how many times did they, they get a wide open corner three in, in the first half? Yeah, you know that's among the, the best looks in basketball. That and layups probably.
2: Gary Harris missed a bunch of those. He was zero of five from three last night.
3: Yeah, I mean it, Portland. They had to do something different after Jokic just demolished them in Game One. I think I think the Nuggets probably expected the double to come. Honestly, I mean I think Portland got a pretty good reminder that no center on the roster is going to be able to hang with Jokic one on one. So so doubling him and you know kind of betting that the Denver's inconsistent shooting is going to beat them was probably their best bet. So yeah, they're they're sending that extra defender most of the time when Jokic took that first dribble. That that's kind of what we saw against the Spurs. I thought Jokic. I mean, he had an okay game. I think there were definitely times where he could have been more aggressive, but I think like game one against San Antonio, this was a case where Denver got really good looks and just didn't convert.
2: For sure. We were just saying this before we started recording. There were some instances in this game two, like there were in game one, which we talked about, where there could have been scenarios where Jokic attacks the basket quicker when he gets the ball in the post before that double arrives. And I'm sure they'll adjust, and he will do that going forward. But we were also saying the same thing after game one. There were times in that game one against the Spurs where he could have gone quicker when he had the ball on the block in good position, you know, 10 feet into the basket before that double arrived. Uh, But he didn't, and I think we saw some of that in game two last night. The stat lines were also pretty similar. Jokic goes for 16, 14, and 7 in this game too. He went for 10, 14, and 14 in that game one. I think Denver hit even less shots in this one than it did in that game one versus San Antonio. Definitely more shots around the rim that the Nuggets missed. I mean, how many just easy bunnies did Jokic, Millsap, Gary Harris, a lot of these guys who are usually pretty capable and automatic around the basket, there were a lot of Chippies that were missing this one, I thought.
3: Yeah, that is an um, important distinction between this and the San Antonio game. Is Denver's poor shooting around the rim. Uh, Denver went 21 of 50 at the rim. If, if you go look at their shot chart on NBA.com, th- that's just not going to get it done. The the one the biggest missed opportunity from kind of point blank range that I can think of was Jokic getting doubled and throwing that no looker to Paul Millsap right under the basket, and right. Millsap just fumbling out of bounds. That was kind of a backbreaker. Um, after the game, Michael Balon. He was a little frustrated that his team didn't look to attack the rim a little bit more, particularly in the first half. I think Denver did a better job of that in the second half, forcing the issue, especially Malik Beasley. But really, I think where this game was lost, in my opinion, was the final four minutes of the second quarter. Denver shot 0 of 8 from the field and attempted five threes, obviously didn't make any of them. Malik Beasley missed two free throws in that time. I thought Denver was kind of settling, and I thought there were definitely instances where – look, you just have to force the issue and, and try to go get fouled at the rim or even get a kickout three. Just just work it inside and then out at the, at the very least. You know, Pepsi Center started booing, and I guess we can talk about whether that was fair or not. But That was ridiculous. Yeah, there was, there was some frustration, to say the least. I think that's called a fan base just
2: not really knowing how to react in the moment. I mean, after 54 wins, you'd think the Nuggets would get a little longer release from their fans than that.
3: that was, I, I have to agree, man. That was ridiculous. They're the eighth youngest team in NBA history. They just ripped off a 54-win season. They, they won their first round series. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah. So they did generate good shots, but you and Michael Malone seemed to be on the same page because he said postgame that he would have liked to see his guys attack the rim more, not settle for as many threes. Pretty much verbatim of what he had to say after Game One uh, against the Spurs, and I'll tell you this: the vibe inside the locker room last night pretty similar to Game One after that Spurs loss, but I would say even a little more positive than the energy I felt, you know, going back two weeks ago because Denver really does feel like they generated good looks. You know, I talked to a number of guys in the locker room last night from. Mason Plumley to, to Monte Morris. And the line of thinking there was, you know, we're fine. We generated open looks. We got a lot of open threes. They shut down Nicola like they wanted to. And he made the right play. We generated good offense. The process was good. The results weren't. And, you know, we've just got to make shots. Like Monte Morris, I was chatting with him. He was like, yeah, man, I haven't hit a three all playoffs. I think he's 0-12 from three right now in the playoffs. He was one of eight from the field last night. And so I think the confidence is still really high, and for good reason. They've generated good looks all series long. They did again in game two. Those shots just got to go down, and I think they will. But a quiet theme, as we touched on throughout the Spurs series about this team, has been inconsistent three-point shooting. It's pretty unexplainable, I think, when you look at the quality of shooters on
3: this roster. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, Denver was 17th in three-point percentage. With with how many guys just have pure strokes up and down this roster, they they should have been better than 17th in the regular season. Gary Harris is, you know, throughout the course of the year, who kind of underperformed. He was a guy who was at right at 40% the the two previous seasons. I think injuries had a lot to do with that. Will Barton has has not shot the ball as well this year as he did in the two previous seasons. You know, Barton is really struggling with his shot in the playoffs. Six for 29 from deep. Monte Morris, like you just alluded to, over for 11 from three in the postseason. Um, you know, I, I kind of am worried about those guys moving forward. I'm I'm not as concerned about Jamal Murray and Gary Harris. I mean, those guys really struggled in this game. But I, I tend to think they'll bounce back. But, yeah, it, it is kind of a concern, I guess, Barton and Morris a little bit for me.
2: Barton's the guy you're really concerned about, I think, because he just hasn't looked like himself M- maybe since that first or second game against the Spurs where he came off the bench. It was that like game three and four or games four and five? He he hasn't lo- looked his self since. Doesn't seem like he's got his rhythm or really his trust in his body or- around the basket. And you feel for the guy. But I-, I wonder if his minutes maybe decrease even more here going forward. He really only played 17 minutes last night. That's about what he's been playing normally. But yeah, the bench inconsistent again. And that's been a theme throughout these playoffs. And, and you would think that Denver's bench would have an advantage in this series like they should have against Portland, but it's a young bench for sure. They're just going to have to hit some more shots here. So that was the theme of, of, of this game too, for sure. Just not making shots, missing a lot of easy looks around the basket. Denver couldn't hit its free throws in this one either. I mean, how about that? 16-26 of from the line. You had guys like Malik Beasley going up there and missing
3: two straight free throws, you know? So, I don't know, a weird night all around, I thought. Yeah, I mean, Beasley 3-8 of from the free throw line. That's kind of a shame because I love Beasley's approach in this game, even though he did miss a lot of outside shots. I mean, he started out hot and really kept Denver within spitting distance in the first quarter, but cooled off after that. After halftime, I saw him attacking the rim like a madman.
2: Did you see the second spectrum stat I tweeted out last night? Oh, what was it? Malik Beasley attempts two and a half poster
3: dunks per game, (laughs) a league high per second spectrum. (laughs) Uh, That's a pretty good one. Yeah, man. The the one where he was in transition and I mean, he just looked like a rocket. One dribble. He takes off from so far in transition. I love the way he was uh, attacking the rim in the second half. And man, he's just got that athleticism and ferocity that that not a lot of guys have on this roster. So it was a shame that he couldn't convert those into to points from the stripe. What'd you think of the adjustment Portland
2: made? And we kind of knew this was coming. It wasn't an adjustment to the extent that we thought Terry Stotts might make, but he kind of went halfway slotted Mo Harkless on Jamal Murray for a portion of the game. And I felt like for the most part, Enos Kanter was still guarding Nikola Jokic. Maybe Aminu spent a couple possessions on him here and there. But it seemed to me like Harkless slowed down Murray a little bit. I remember Jamal had his one turnover, I think, in the first quarter where he just couldn't get off a pass over the outstretched arms of Harkless, who obviously has a few more inches on him and definitely on a defender like Lillard or McCollum who was slotted on him in Game 1. That seemed like a good adjustment from Portland. It seemed to slow Jamal Murray down a little bit. But still, you look at that and say, okay, like that wasn't the adjustment that prevented Denver from you know, making a average amount of threes that it usually does.
3: Yeah, I think Harkless slowed him a little bit. And I think Zach Collins' moving screen in the second quarter slowed him a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamal was limping around again in this game. Um, he, he caught a knee from... From Zach Collins trying to go around a screen. I mean, it, you did get some flashbacks to the first round series with, with Jakob Pertl. It wasn't a ball screen, it was off screen, so I guess that was one difference. But I don't I don't know if Jamal is an easy target. I don't know if this is just bad luck. I, I guess I tend to think it's bad luck, but yeah, I mean this is this has been an issue for him in the playoffs. This guy is bumped and bruised from from just getting nailed on screens. Yeah, he's really banged
2: up right now. He's got the thigh quad it's probably just like a bruise, but he obviously originally got that in that Spurs series from running into Jakob Pertle's knees on a bunch of different occasions. And it was a pretty similar play that happened against Collins here coming around a screen on the right wing and man, he just got clipped. And I don't know if he's gotta do a better job of avoiding screens or if those are probably illegal screens, but you naturally get away with more stuff in the playoffs, so both teams will get away with those legal screens. But he got clipped on that play, really bothered him for the rest of the game, and he didn't even play the last minute of this game, right? Monte Morris was out on the floor, and that was pretty telling to me because Jamal Murray's always going to be a guy who's out there at the end of games, really no matter how bad of a game he's having. But he was standing on the bench because he just couldn't get through it. Like, that's how bad it was.
3: And the other thing, too, was Monte wasn't having a great game or anything. Yep. I mean, he shot one for A from a field. He, you know, he made nice passes per usual and, and protected the ball, but he was not a threat scoring the game, scoring the ball in, in this game at all. So, yeah, Denver really could have used Jamal Murray out there. Man, uh, had a couple of chances to, to really make it interesting. If Jokic had hit that three down five, Portland could have gotten tight. I mean, it was, it was crazy, like we said, that they're even in this one late in this game.
2: Yeah, they were really almost at that point where you thought, okay, it's a game again. Like they almost got to within four or, or or something like that, but they never really got it to that margin where you're like, okay, this is back to a 50-50 game. It always seemed like Portland still had that upper hand. Denver missed so many shots early that it kind of prevented the crowd from getting into this one. It really, may, maybe until some portions of that fourth quarter where it looked like maybe the Nuggets were going to be able to uh, slip back into this thing. Yeah, Denver falls in Game 2. Obviously, they'll have to regroup here. Game 3 in Portland coming up on Friday. Denver's super banged up right now, and they don't have a lot of time to rest. Only one off day in between this Game 2 and Game 3, which I feel like is kind of odd. And I also wanted to remind you guys, in case you didn't see on Twitter, we're having a watch party for Game 3 of the series Friday night at Blake Street Tavern. We're giving away playoff tickets, free BSN merch, T-shirts and more. Also, your first Bud Light of the night is on the house. So come on down to Blake Street Tavern right by Coors Field. We've done the podcast there before. It's an awesome sports bar. Tons of TVs, everything you could possibly want to eat and drink. They've got games downstairs as well. Show up at 8 o'clock and watch game three with a ton of your fellow Nuggets fans. Let's hit a break real quick. Want to touch on that on the other side and also get into some other aspects of this game. We'll be right back.
1: Cater to all needs, a family friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue.
2: Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast. As always, we're presented by The Green Solution. Visit mygreensolution.com and use promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I noted this right before we went to break, but I think we should chat about it a little. Denver has just one day off in between games two and three, whereas the Rockets played game two against the Warriors on Tuesday. They don't play again till Saturday. So the Warriors and Rockets have a full three days off in between their games two and three. The Nuggets have one. And I know when you travel from Oakland to Houston, it's a little longer flight. I think it's an hour longer. And you're going across two time zones where when you go from Denver to Portland, it's a three-hour flight compared to a four-hour flight, and you only go across one time zone. But I don't think that should be enough to warrant a full two days more of rest. I don't know.
3: I feel like Denver should have a little beef with the schedule makers here. What do you think? Yeah, it, it's really tough. I mean, especially because Tory Craig is, is kind of going through it right now. Jamal Murray is kind of going through it right now. You could really use two days in between, it, especially going to a new city. That, that's really tough for Denver. For
2: sure. And they could use that time to get these guys healthy. They could use that time to get Jamal Jamal Murray healthy or get Tory Craig healthy so that guy could actually breathe again.
3: Yeah. I mean, Tory Craig was out there with the mask and with two cotton swabs up his nostrils. Right. Like, I, I don't know how he's breathing last night. I guess just only through his mouth.
2: Yeah. Well, he noted after the game how he couldn't really breathe that well and how he was like it really stuffed up and whatnot. And I didn't realize like he had two swabs stuffed up his nose during the game.
3: He was like halfway to playing
2: a basketball game with a plastic bag over his head.
3: I, I felt bad for the guy. Yeah. I,
2: I mean, what an effort from him. Freaking warrior to go out there and come back. Michael Malone told him, you don't have to come back in if you don't feel like you can. You know, we've got game three. This is going to be a long series. Save yourself maybe. But he tried to Willis read the Nuggets to victory.
3: Man, I I thought the Nuggets really had a chance when he hit that
2: three in the third quarter. Yeah, kind of rejuvenated things a bit. He came in, got defensive rebound. That was such a freak play. I felt like when he fell and then his nose just grazed the back of Monte Morris's leg and suddenly there's pools of blood on the floor. That was kind of a freak play, I feel like.
3: And, you know, some guys are floppers and, and some guys keep it real. Tory Craig keeps it real. Like when he's on the on the ground writhing in pain, you know if something's really wrong. It, yeah. Him and Gary sure. Harris are kinda if they're mad about something or they appear to be in pain, you know it's real.
2: Yeah, so let's talk about Torrey Craig because that was potentially going to be a huge loss for Denver if he was gonna miss a couple games here and you know, he missed some time in this one obviously, he got injured in the second quarter, didn't come back until late in the third. So Den- Denver missed something there, but if he would have missed the rest of that game, and if he would miss Game Three, for example, it seems like he's going to play. But Denver really needs Craig in this series; like he's more important in this series, I think, than he could be in you know a, a make-believe series against a, a team like the Jazz or something, because they just need more bodies to throw at Lillard and McCollum. They need his defense. And I was thinking, man, if Torrey Craig's going to be out, like holy crap, Malik Beasley is going to be thrust into this role where he's got to defend Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum. And so the fact that Craig is going to be okay, I think that's that's big for Denver.
3: Yeah. I mean, Beasley has done, I think, a solid job in patches of guarding McCollum and Lillard. But if you're asking him to do that for 10, 15 more minutes a night, that, that definitely makes you a lot more nervous. Man, Torrey Craig is such a tough dude. That was That was so cool to see last night. Um, and I think he's done a, a pretty solid job on Damian Lillard so far in the series. I man. I know Dame had a huge game in Game 1, but he needed a lot of shots to get there, and he did a lot of that damage late when Denver kind of already had the game put away, and Torrey did an excellent job, I thought, in, in Game 2. I mean, Lillard, 5 of 17 from the field. Man, you know, when Dame shoots like that, I think Denver wins like four of five times. This was just the one.
2: Lillard with 14 points last night. This was a line that he put up that was actually quite similar to a couple lines he's had against Denver this year. He had 15 points and then 14 points in two head-to-head matchups against the Nuggets this season. And he struggled against Denver. And I feel like it's probably got a little to do with the defense that Torrey Craig and Gary Harris have played. Probably a little to do with just some bad luck because he's missed a bunch of open shots this series. Only went one of seven from three in this game. McCollum is really the guy who hurt the Nuggets the most in this one. So they've done a good job containing Lillard. Uh, They have not done a good job containing McCollum. And a story of this game also was just kind of the Blazers role players stepping up a little bit more than they did in game one and obviously outperforming Denver's role players. Rodney Hood had a good night. Zach Collins had a good night. Just touched on McCollum. Alfru Aminu had a much better game than he did in game one. Mo Harkless still wasn't a huge factor,
3: but definitely a bigger factor than he was in game one as well. Rodney Hood back from the freaking dead. Yeah. I thought, I thought maybe Denver's worst miscue of the game was right after Craig hit that three in the third quarter. Uh, they come down on defense, play great defense for 21 seconds, and Portland gets a sideline out of bounds with three seconds left on the shot clock. Murray and Morris just bungled the switch, and, and Hood got this wide-open baseline jumper that he knocked in. Three seconds on the shot clock, and, and you couldn't even contest. That was, that was pretty rough. And you hate
2: to see that because Rodney Hood only has one move. It's like a pump fake or a jab step, and then one dribble pull up to either direction. He's going there every time, so I, I feel like he should be pretty... Easy to stop. He can rise over you. He's, he's long. He's like 6'8, six, 6'9, six, but I think his moves are pretty predictable. Torrey Craig goes down in that second quarter, comes back with the mask, obviously, and chips in down the stretch for Denver in the second half. Gave Denver some good minutes later on. He gets pushed to the floor again by Ennis Canner in the fourth quarter. Canner is running up floor after a free throw. There was kind of some contact with Jokic. It looked like Jokic pushed him a little, and then Canner embellished that push a little bit. Crashes into Torrey Craig. Craig goes to the floor, and then Jamal Murray kind of gets in between Canner and uh, some nuggets. Didn't seem like there was anything malicious there. Like it, like I just said, Canner just kind of turned, and Craig was right there, and that's where the contact happened. But there was a little dust-up at center court. A couple of technicals were handed out. A couple of guys came off the bench. I don't think there's going to be any suspensions or anything because it was during a timeout, and those rules about coming off the bench don't necessarily apply during a timeout. So I think Denver and Portland should be in the clear there, but there's a little chippiness going on, I think. Not necessarily on that play, but you can
3: kind of sense stuff building, I think, between Canner and the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, it's just playoff basketball, and I like what the Nuggets said after this game. Michael Malone and Nicole Jokic were both asked about you know the, the general chippiness in the second half and they both just said hey that, that's just a part of the game both teams want to win I like that the Nuggets haven't got sucked into you know blaming the officials or, or things aren't going their way the Nuggets in this playoffs are, are really just focusing on, on things that they control and man that really stands in contrast to like the Houston Rockets who are sending 97 page dissertations on the officiating I just like the idea of, of just focusing on yourself
2: do you think this series will continue to get a little chippy? Because I think it could. Uh, Amante Morris had a comment about how he expects this game three to be a little chippy. And but like I said, I don't think there's been any malicious intent behind any of these incidents with Kanner, but it does seem to be building a tad.
3: I think we will because Kanner is kind of a habitual line stepper. I mean, after the game, he kind of shaded Jokic which was hilarious. I mean, Jokic is almost an unshadeable guy. He said he thought it was just going to be sweet, and he's going to get us 35 every night, but I think we know we just start the game very physical, and it's still the playoffs, man. That wasn't,
2: that wasn't even my favorite Cantor quote. That was good. But then on the fourth-quarter altercation, he goes, it was a free-throw box-out, and then this dude just literally pushed me into his teammate." And then I knocked somebody down, and then they started getting in my face. I'm like, I didn't do anything. Your teammate pushed me into you. He just referred to Jokic as this dude. That was good. Habitual line stepper, Harrison.
3: this Cantor definitely comes in your home and puts his muddy boots on your couch. Cantor's not
2: afraid to say what's on his mind. And that's what I think a lot of people like about him. And he's said what's on his mind before. And I think... I don't know. I think something could be brewing here. We'll see what happens in games three and four, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there were a
3: couple more kind of incidents with him. Yeah. Gary Harris looked like he was ready to go toe-to-toe there in, I think, the, the third quarter. And you know, if Gary Harris wants to throw hands, then yeah, you know things are getting a little heated.
2: And I do think what happened at the end of the game, and I asked Jamal about it afterwards, and he said that He just thought Canner pushed Torrey down again, and I mean, I guess that's that's what happened, true, but there was also kind of the the Jokic push that maybe Canner embellished a little, but that's what caused his momentum heading into Torrey. There was probably some also just frustration built up throughout the game that Denver was letting off in that moment. It just gave them something that they could kind of get upset about after they had missed all these threes, all these open shots around the rim, all these free throws. There was probably some frustration that was mounting from the Nugget side of things as well at that point. A couple more things to get to on this game. Quick, though, a word from Total Beverage. Right now, they've got this great deal exclusively for BSN listeners. You guys already know that Total Beverage has the most liquor in Colorado at the best prices in Colorado. But now they're delivering to anywhere in the North Metro area, all the way from Wheat Ridge to Erie. And for a limited time, Total Beverage is offering $10 off a $50 order or more on their website and app. How you get that? You go to the Total Beverage app or their website, type in promo code BSN10, you can save $10 off a $50 order and have it delivered right to your door. Welcome back to the show. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here recapping game two, Denver Falls ninety-seven, ninety-two. The Trailblazers. What are you expect from Game Three? Major changes, small tweaks here and there. Pretty much the same game plan. What's your read on how the Nuggets will approach this one on Friday?
3: I don't think we're going to see all that much different, at least from the Trailblazers' side. I think they're going to continue to double Nikola Jokic. You know, as soon as he takes that first dribble or starts to make that first move, and they're just going to make the Nuggets prove that that they can hit outside shots. Nuggets were an inconsistent outside shooting team during the regular season. You know, we know that in the first round, those double teams, they weren't nearly, they didn't happen nearly as frequently on Jokic as the series were on because the Nuggets finally made them pay. Um, You know, they made them pay in two, three, four, and five, as Michael Malone pointed out last night. So, I mean, it it sounds pretty simple, but this is just going to come down to can the Nuggets hit those outside shots, I think, largely.
2: It will, for sure. And if Denver shoots six of 29 again from three, they're probably not going to win this game. But the thing that nobody's talking about is the Blazers also shot terribly from three. Denver shot six of 29. Portland shot nine of 29. So they only hit three more threes than Denver. The difference was what Portland did from two-point range. They made a lot of their close looks around the rim. Kanner didn't have the efficiency he had in game one, but still scored 15 points. All five of his field goals obviously came from the paint. Also got to line and hit five free throws. Portland just made more of their shots around the rim than Denver did. Zach Collins had five field goals in this one. None of those came from three, so he did some nice work around the basket as well and from mid-range. Evan Turner doubled his field goal count in the playoffs. He came into this game only having hit one shot this entire playoffs. He had two buckets last night. Rodney Hood also did some work around the basket. He hit two threes as well. So, Look, Denver just got to finish inside. And Paul Millsat missed a lot of chippies. Jokic did, obviously. Harris, Murray. And I mean, this was another game where Jamal Murray struggles from the field. Denver struggles to score. He had 15 points in this game. The Nuggets have won every game where he scored above 20, right? They've lost every game where he scored under 20. Does that still seem like the key to a healthy Nuggets offense? Obviously, Jamal Murray's scoring, but they're just going to need more from him on the offensive end, it seems.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've, you know, spent a lot of time on on the show this season talking about how Jamal is the most crucial swing player on on this Nuggets roster when he's got it going on offense. And is that, you know, legit rock solid number two option, then Denver is almost always going to win. You know, I I think it's fine that Jamal had a little bit of a down game. He strung together, you know, five, six really strong games in a row, kind of since that, that game three debacle against the Spurs. So, yeah, you, you I mean it it was kind of I guess expected that there was a letdown game and and now we could see if Jamal can rebound again. Yeah, for sure. Um
2: so anything else from this game? Uh we just know the Nuggets need to hit shots. They miss a lot of threes, they miss a lot of looks around the basket. Hit your free throws as well. Uh we didn't
3: even talk about the Jake Lehman sighting Harrison.
2: The Jake Lehman sighting at the beginning of the first or second half, he started that second half for Mo Harkless, who exited the game with a sprained ankle, pretty bad one at that. And uh, he kind of got Dante Jones where he played the first portion of the second half. Then we, we did not see him again
3: after that. Yeah, we were talking before the show about how you had a dream last night. Jake Lehman played 48 minutes. It's kind of weird, man. That might
2: have actually been good for Denver. He did not look great in those six minutes.
3: It was also kind of weird when you were telling me about. You know, one of the things you want to do this summer is just go to California and play beach volleyball with Jake Lehman and just whoop people two on two? Me, Jake Lehman, Clay Thompson, and Luke Walton. It was a Good <laughs> two on two game. Dude, I'll fly out for that one.
2: <laughs> so I think Denver probably gets one of these in Portland here. I think they split and they'll probably need to because if they drop these next two You come back to Denver for game five, and then Portland potentially has a closeout game in game six at home, which would be really tough. So one of these in Portland, Denver's got to take. Which one do you think it is?
3: I think they'll get three. Yeah,
2: three, because in these close series, a lot of times it goes every other. We'll see what happens. We'll be up there for game three and four. So continue to check out our coverage on Denver.com, The BSN Nuggets podcast, of course, that you're listening to available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. And with that, we'll be back with a new episode soon. Talk to you then.
0: The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, Executive Director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter.
1: We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship including VIP Access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, We have a trip to Streamsong, we have a trip to Bandon Dunes, we have a trip to Sand Valley then we have what I think might be the coolest, a chance to take in, uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradagolf.org. Tickets are $40. And, you know, all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So, you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation.
0: For a chance to win, be sure to go to ColoradoGolfAssociation.org.
1: Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne.